Good day to you, brothers, sisters, friends, and new faces, and welcome to Current Events and Christian Expectations. And today, in this podcast, we'll discuss our culture and how we count on it. Today, we'll lead off with the book of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 36. And as usual, we will have several other scriptures that we'll reference today, and we'll put those in the overview. So with the culture and counterculture under the authority of the Holy Scriptures, let's just dig right in. All right. Good uh, evening, morning, afternoon, whatever your time is out there in podcast land. The current event, Christianity is not a political movement to save the culture, but to call the culture to Christ. We are are supposed to be a counterculture people. So the question is, are you counterculture or... Are you counting on the culture? First question coming up here in terms of Christian expectation. What kingdom do we belong to as Christians? Here's a passage. Randy, you'll read it from John 18, 33 through 36. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Right. We belong to a kingdom not of this world. It's the highest priority calling one can have in life, certainly far beyond the political calling. And what about this world that... Jesus mentions that this kingdom is not of. It's another world altogether. Listen to 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whosoever does the will of God abides forever. That scripture sounds familiar. Yes, that's one of our what primary flag flagship uh, scriptures that governs what we do here on Christian Expectations because uh, the current events are always, seems like they're new, but now they're all fading away eventually. What fuels political movements, according to John here, because that politics is a part of the world, desires of the uh, eyes of the flesh and the pride of life, This is not what fuels Christianity, uh, which is not a means to promote politics. It is the end of trusting the world and the only means to glory. As verse 17 says, the world is already passing away, and whoever does will of God last forever. Now, one may say, doesn't this fuel the desires of the flesh and the eyes and the pride of life get into the church? Yes, which is why our time, energy, gifts, etc., should be directed there above mm-hmm. all and not into a, a political world that is passing away. So what is the current event that brought this to pass for this broadcast? Uh, the Grammys. This is a uh, article now from uh, lifesitenews.com, February 6th of this year, referring to the Grammy performance. Some of you may have seen it or read about it. Here is the quote. In a tweet about his performance, Smith posted, quote, this is going to be special. Yes. In response, CBS tweeted, 
you can say that again. We are ready to worship. It is unclear why CBS deleted the tweet. <laughs> uh, let me stop right there. Uh, Mr. Smith or Sam Smith gave a satanic performance at the uh, Emmys. So we're ready to worship. Really? Mm -hmm. Back to the uh, quote from LifeSite News. Reacting to the statement, conservative film director Robbie Starbuck tweeted, this is what CBS said to Sam Smith right before he did his demonic performance as Satan. Think about that. They aren't even trying to hide how compromised by evil they are anymore. It's all out in the open now. Follow up on that. Here's another writer from LifeSite uh, of the 9th of February, Jonathan Van Maren. Here's what he says, quote, The Grammys was attended by President Joe Biden's wife, Jill, and many other luminaries because the event represents the mainstream of culture now. Well, let's stop right there and take that to heart and listen to Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right. The world, in other words, the culture of the time is what we're talking about. This is not to be transformed in order to be a good Democrat, Republican, conservative, or liberal, or certainly not to be accepted by the mainstream culture. But the Christian is not to conform to the world, but be transformed to do one thing, God's will. And that's how we counter the culture. Here's another quote from a fellow named Paul Hare from a website I've not been to before, but in my research this came up boundingintocomics.com from February 8th of this year. Here's what he says. Celebrities in the music industry proudly put on a satanic performance at the Grammys this past Sunday, and their media allies subsequently mocked anyone who objected to it. Did they try to censor them? <laughs> this is just the latest event that shows how thoroughly progressivism has defeated conservatism. Now, Christianity is not a conservative movement, although the current narrative from the left and the right says it is. It is not. Neither is it a liberal movement. It is Christian, as laid out in the New Testament. There is a difference, and we're going to get to that. Now, the quote continues. Roger Friedman of Showbiz 411 reported on Saturday that, quote, my sources say the production of this number is going to make a lot of people very upset, and I guarantee there will be calls to CBS from outraged Christians. He added that apparently Smith, who is six foot five and a big person, will be playing Satan. There'll be a lot of devil type stuff, devil worship, pyrotechnics like you've never seen. Quote. Hare goes on to say that this progressivism is now in a your face spectacle of we've won. Well, according to him, what's the solution? Quote, it's time to abandon conservatism and to become pro-good and anti-evil instead. And within the realm of entertainment, that means that creators need to create art that treats progressives and their sacred cows, everything and everyone that they worship, with a contempt that they so rightly deserve. Time for some long overdue reciprocity. End of quote. So, is he saying to use the world's tactics to defeat the world? That's not the Christian answer. Mm -hmm. Listen to Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, 
for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yeah, we go out trying to defeat our enemies using the tactics of the world. That's not a good idea. Now, the next verse, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We could spend a lot of time on commentary on what burning coals is, but the point is, you uh, find your enemy in a vulnerable position, you see to his needs. That's what it says. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There you go. So his suggestion is not a good one. (laughs) Good and evil. Who decides that? Is he talking about another political movement? Why not a revival of Christian truth? This, of course, is one of our goals here at Christian uh, Expectations. Getting away from politics and cultural narratives to what scriptures actually say. And note well, we, we had an earlier podcast on Twitter and the prophetic role versus politics. First, our first podcast dealt with that. Here's another take on using the world's tactics to defeat the world. There's a book out called Letter to the American Church by the writer Eric Metaxas. And it's reviewed by Steve Bateman. And here's what Mr. Bateman says, quote, Metaxas believes desperate times call for desperate measures to put candidates in power who will enact policies to help people. That's on page 121. Christ followers may need to, quote, vote for someone whom others may criticize for being guilty of this or that. He intimates that Christians may even need to, quote, tell a lie for the larger good. That's on page 120. Christians, says Metaxas, can do these things because we serve, quote, a God who has a wildness and unpredictability to him, page 123. And like Bonhoeffer, says Metaxas, in opposition to Hitler, violence may be necessary. That's page 79 and 109. Mm. I don't know how many of you out there know Mr. Bonhoeffer. Uh, Let me say his book, uh, Cost of Discipleship, is excellent. I've read it. It's demanding. On the other hand, he was involved eventually in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Uh, He was in Germany, left Germany, came to America, felt bad about leaving Germany in such a situation, went back there and was in a plot to assassinate Hitler. And, of course, it failed, as so many plots against Hitler did, Mm. until God had his moment. Bonhoeffer was executed April 9th, 1945. Uh, my point is, as much as I admire Mr. Bonhoeffer, I do believe he took the wrong direction there. For example, Hitler was called an Antichrist, and I think in many ways he was, but the final manifestation when Antichrist shows up, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, Jesus takes care of him at the second coming. He's not taken out by Christians. Mm. We need to keep this in mind. Violence is never countenanced in the New Testament as a political solution. Matthew 26, 51 through 52. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Yes, now this was not in an act of war. This is a political context. Now, to understand that, listen to this passage from John 11 uh, that Rand is going to read. First, he's going to read 45 through 50, because we need to understand what John is giving us here with Caiaphas is an attempt of Caiaphas to save his culture. So listen carefully. John 11:45 45 through 50. Many of the Jews, therefore, 
who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Yes, and when he talks about saving the nation by killing one man, that's, of course, killing Jesus. But what he wants to save is his culture, mm -hmm. his situation, uh, which with the priests there at that time was a good situation to be in. So he's advocating violence to save the culture. He's not depending on God or calling up on the Lord. Now listen to verses 51 through 53. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Right. What God does in his providence is to take that very act, saving the culture by killing someone, and turn it into Jesus as the risen Christ who becomes the Savior. When I came across uh, Metaxas' views, I thought that he, like others, were forgetting that Christianity is not a political movement. The kingdom we belong to is not of this world, political world, conservative world, or liberal world. We're in it, yes, but as those preparing and bearing witness to the world to come. Listen to this axiom uh, that Paul picks up from the church of Corinth. Um, what he's saying here is um, repeating a phrase that the Corinthians had come up with. They were justifying all kinds of sins because they had the right to, because they're free in Christ. So here is the quote, 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Yeah. All things are lawful, but that doesn't mean you got a right to do it in the, in the eyes of God. Keep that in mind. This axiom must be applied to our involvement in politics as well. In Christian history, we find many, many examples of people exercising their rights and only led to rebellion. The best of our time, resources, and energy are to be devoted to the kingdom, not the politics of the world. It should be increasingly clear that politics can't solve the great corrupting issues of our day. Here's a quote from Charles Colson. Listen to this. Quote, and by the way, Charles Colson, for those who don't know, was with the Nixon administration. And of course, we know what happened to Mr. Nixon. He had to resign. Uh, consequently, uh, Colson thought about this, got under conviction, was talked to by some friends, read a book by C.S. Lewis, and became a Christian. Here's what Colson says. Quote, when the church aligns itself politically, it gives priority to the compromises and temporal successes of the political world rather than its Christian confession of eternal truth. And when the church gives up its rightful place as the conscience of the culture, we're counterculture people, remember? The consequences for society can be horrific, end of quote. In other words, this slogan, I have my rights. No, not if they conflict with God. Mm -hmm. As the people of God, we are to be salt and light, something the government is not called to do. Their role is simple, although you never know it present circumstances, but to maintain law and order. 
and whatever else is enacted is in order to help maintain law and order and public safety. Listen to this from Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Right. He's ordained. They get the right to uh, enforce peace, so to speak. That's why it's called a police force. He does not bear the sword in vain. Peter did when he cut the servant's mm -hmm. ear off, uh, which was a political act of rebellion by Peter. It's hard for us rebellion, a rebellious lot here in the United States to hear these things. It is very difficult. Yeah. Uh, in fact, here's that same Peter. Listen to what he says now in a letter he wrote, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Right. Don't use your freedom for rebellion. So then we conclude with this note of Jesus from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, does that sound like a government? No, that is a command given to the people of God whose kingdom is not of this world. Their directions come from outside the world. Politics always dilutes the salt and covers the light. Uh, now, back in the 80s, uh, Ronald Reagan was president. I, I voted for him and thought he did a good, good, good job. But he had his flaws. He would use this passage from Matthew, the city set on a hill, and basically apply it to the government. That's what we're supposed to be. Yeah. No, that, that leads in the wrong direction wrong direction. Now, can a Christian be in politics? Yes, if he or she believes it's a calling of a prophetic nature. Uh, we dealt with that in our first two podcasts, mm -hmm. which started off this like, what, over two years ago. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can go back to the first two podcasts. Remember, Jesus refused the politics of the world and that temptation of Satan. Luke 4, 5 through 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Right. He gives him that vision of the glory of the kingdoms, which is, of course, a worldly glory. It's not heavenly glory. 
But Jesus says, no, I'm having nothing to do with that. And we follow him. The reason for the urgency on this is because of the increasing voices that, however well-intended, are asking for greater and political for greater political involvement from we who are Christians to solve our nation's problems. We are commissioned, however, to spread the word, baptize, teach, and build up the body of Christ. Certainly that has and does impact, has impact and does shape culture. Uh, for example, as I've mentioned before, we uh, are involved in helping uh, two or three missions around the world. One's in Africa, Ghana, Togo, and Burkina Faso, and they're continually having problems with the government persecution, uh, and yet they're coming out the will of God. Mm. And so if that comes to this country, then we've got to be following those kind of examples from our Christian brothers and sisters in Africa. We're not called to change culture, political or otherwise, but people. We're to be salt and light. Government is never called to do this. They're called to keep the order. Count out the descriptions check them out, count them out, check them out, because there's a several of them, of kingdom people in the Sermon on the Mount that Randy's going to read here one verse at a time after the introduction, and then ask yourself, is this a political movement that Jesus is talking about? So first we're going to look at, this is the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right, the poor in spirit, we who are kingdom people. We should know that we are spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt, poverty-stricken, and in debt to God. That's where we start from. Now let's look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourn, that is, we know our sin and the world's and have a grief about us that others will not get. We do not celebrate the world and its delusions. We grieve over them, or we should be. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, they shall inherit the earth. Wow. That says a lot about what we're talking about here. We are people who don't use violence of any kind to get our way. We're the opposite of all those revolutionary groups like Antifa and others, and what some people are calling Christians to do. It doesn't mean we're doormats, but we prefer to be doorways to the truth. Then verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That is what we want, not revolution, but to be the kind of people that God approves of so we can be good servants of the kingdom to come. In our lives, to please the Lord, recognizing that the world is spiritually bankrupt and that politics doesn't solve that at all. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Yes, recognizing our own sins, sinfulness, our bankruptcy before God, we need to be having mercy on others and not take a self-righteous attitude. Though paradoxically, we are still hungering and thirsting for the righteousness we lack. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is, we strive to make our motives righteous and forswear manipulating others to do our will. Mm. And there's a lot of manipulation in politics. Verse mm. 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There you go. Instead of causing problems, instigating them, we work at peaceable, merciful solutions among people at the grassroots level. And then the conclusion of this, and it's 
I've always, I'm always somewhat shocked when I read it. Listen to this, verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now think back. Why do those people striving to have the characteristics that Jesus has laid out here in Matthew 5, why would they be persecuted? They seem like the kind of people you'd want around. You want around that don't yeah. cause trouble. Why would they be persecuted by their neighbors or other religions or eventually the government uh, because of their politics? This is a list that is uh, not a description of political candidates, but kingdom people. Mm. That's our quality of life. Listen to Charles Colson again. Quote, Christians should never have a political party. It's a huge mistake to become married to an ideology because the greatest enemy of a gospel is ideology. Ideology is a man-made format of how the world ought to work. And Christians instead believe in the revealing truth of Scripture. Uh, now I'm going to quote another fellow named Solzhenitsyn. He's a Russian. Uh, he wrote a book about being in the Russian gulag. He was a prisoner there. Uh, he came to a, a profound faith while he was there and contemplated and wrote books about it. He came over to the United States in 1978 and gave a speech at Harvard. And apparently the people who gathered there were expecting him to commend the American way of life and politics, that we had the answer. And that was not the speech he gave. Here's part of it. Listen to this. Quote, Mr. Solzhenitsyn, we have placed too much hope in political and social reforms only to find out that we were being deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. Mm. Um, now, Charles Haywood, in commenting upon the speech, uh, it's Charles Haywood of the Worthy House. This is from his column of September 18th, 2019. He says this, the reaction of the American elite, and that means liberals, conservatives, neocons, you name it. The reaction of the American elite was frothing fury, and Solzhenitsyn was cast out from polite society. He goes on to say later, said, if he were to come back today uh, and gave a speech, he would be stoned, <laughs> yeah. uh, and more likely he wouldn't even get to give it because it would be previewed, and they'd say, no, you're out of here. Yeah. Goodbye. The politics of this world will always fail because humanity at large, places faith in the political solution, which always boils down to one person. Listen to this from Psalms 146, 1 through 5. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Our hope is not in the culture, not in changing it, not in having a better political arrangement. Our hope is in the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth. And those we put faith in, they will die being mortal, and whatever plans they have, go with them. Mm. On the great day of judgment, here is what matters. 
and uh, Jesus, the context here, Jesus is talking about when he returns to earth and gathers all nations before him for a judgment. This is how it proceeds. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So that's pretty clear. So the question is, why do these particular sheep get to enter the kingdom to come? Listen to the next two verses from Matthew 25, verses 35 through 36. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. What's done unto these is the same as having done it unto Christ. That's why they get in the kingdom. Clear and simple. I once knew a person from a church, our church in Blanchester who said every time she reads that, she gets the fear of God in her heart. <laughs> yes. There are, these are person-to-person deeds. It's not political deeds. It might be done in the midst of a political situation, absolutely, but it's personal deeds. In fact, in doing them, we may have to defy the politics of the day. Mm. Jesus did, and he was crucified. Think of his cleansing the temple, or his teaching, his preaching, and they wanted to kill him because he healed a guy with a bad hand. What matters most is not that we voted, but that we were devoted servants of the Lord. That's the Christian expectation. Thanks, Jim. It's a lot to think about. Not that we voted. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure that there are questions or comments on it. And we'd love to hear those questions and comments from you. So please send your questions or comments to eventsandexpectations at gmail.com. We'll use your question or comment where possible, and we will always answer you. This has been Current Events and Christian Expectations, and until next time, keep looking up.